that's the, that's the whole desire by me going over this first and second Timothy. I hope is to create a hunger in our hearts for the word of God. I, I do want to mention just, just in case you weren't here, I, I love those hands that you see in Timothy. And uh, you ought to get with somebody after the service. Maybe they can go over them. Uh, and, and there's at least four times that hands are specifically set aside in the book of Timothy. You'll find it in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. Those are supplicating hands. Boy, I appreciate that. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And I want to just mention that verse because of this reason. On Wednesday night, I told Brother Jared I was studying about it this morning. And uh, we've dealt with it before on why do we worship? Why do we have a midweek service? Why do we have service on a Wednesday night? And uh, many folks have already said uh, that it originated back in uh, World War I uh, while our, our troops were overseas that they would gather together and pray. That is true. They did do that. But that's not actually where it started or originated. It actually originated. In, uh, and by the way, I could take you to that verse over in First Thessalonians uh, where the Bible says Paul's encouraging them. He says, look, I want you to uh, hold fast those traditions. Some traditions uh, are, are good to hold on to. Amen. And uh, thank God. I thank coming to church. Amen. I, I think having a meal with your family on Thanksgiving is a pretty good, amen, uh, pretty good tra tradition. And uh, we bow our head in reverence to a holy God. Uh, but Jesus, if you look in the Bible, he's always got his eyes open or looking up to heaven. And I think we do it hey, out of respect and reverence. I don't think there's nothing wrong with it. And anybody that does, something probably wrong with you. Hey, man, it's a tradition we've gotten used to. And I like looking up to heaven every once in a while. When I get real desperate, I'm needing help from God. Amen. And I need help from the Lord. Amen. But I'm saying uh, there's something. Why do we meet on Wednesday night? I believe we ought to meet because it's prayer time. And it was originally started as a prayer meeting time. And before we leave tonight, we're going to gather in this altar and we're going to pray. And what I hope to say is we always try to have altar prayer, especially on Wednesday night. We pray a lot of times before service. But it's God's will for men to lead by example in prayer. Amen. He said, I will therefore that all men, we're supposed to pray everywhere. That's his will. Pray without ceasing. But I believe it's God's will, amen, that we pray. Did he not say that this, the house of God should be called a house of prayer? Amen. And uh, they've made it a den of thieves. He said it's a house of prayer. Do what I have supplicating hands. Every once in a while we need to lift up holy hands. I'm not talking about some Benny Hinn thing. I'm not talking about, oh, <laughs> I'm not talking about acting crazy, barking like a dog, clucking like a chicken. I'm saying we ought to open our hands and say, God, would you help us today? Amen. And so look, get with somebody, and I want to do my best to dive in where God's got me at. So go with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy in chapter number 1. And uh, we're going to back up to do just a few things. We kind of uh, did an overview. We did some uh, progressions of thought in First and Second Timothy. We kind of did an aerial photo shot. Uh, did a few things that we find in both books and last week. Boy, I, I had a good time doing that. I hope you did. Uh, but I, I'm stirred up in my mind 
Uh, we found those wicked twins in the two books. We found lone encouragers in these pastoral epistles. People like Luke who stood with Paul when nobody didn't stand with Paul. And thank God there is one when everybody's gone, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. Amen. Thank God for that encourager. Uh, but I, I thought about all that we find. Brother Howard Seitler said this one time. Brother Howard Seitler said this. He said, amen, I, I, I remember it. He said, he said, if you can look and search your Bible, you will find Jesus in every chapter. I, I think we all agree with that. Everybody knows that scripture in the volume of the book it's written of me. Jesus told them Pharisees, he said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. If you went back to uh, not, almost nearly the book, at least the, near, the center phrase in the Bible, uh, the Lord's in that phrase. Here's what I'm saying. I believe everything in this Bible points us to the Lord. Would, would anybody say amen? And so if I believe you can probably find him in every chapter, I, I'm agreeing with uh, Brother Seitler. You say, preacher, what about them chronicles? So-and-so begat so-and-so. And so-and-so begat so-and-so. Well, I found him right there in the begat because if it hadn't have been for him, there wouldn't have been nobody to begat and nobody to begotten. Amen. I mean, he's, every, he's everywhere is what I'm saying. And, but I, I think he's there specifically in these areas in these two books. Look in chapter 1 in verse number 15. Yes, he's in the first few verses. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. But in the theme of the chapter, where is he sticking out at a pinnacle in each chapter? I, I believe we find him in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 15. Notice the Bible says, This is the faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I like to say, first of all, we find him in the first chapter of Timothy, the first book, uh, as the saving one. Amen. I'm glad he's the one that can save. In fact, he's the only one that can save. Amen. I, I see the Savior in the call, uh, the incarnation of the Savior. Look what the Bible says. Amen. Thank God for this. He said he came into the world. Amen. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world. Hey, the first, the only begotten Son of God, the Word who was in the beginning with God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Hey, that same Word became flesh and we bowed his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father he can't, the incarnation of the Savior is in our verse but look at the intent of the Savior the Bible said in verse 15 that he came to save sinners Woo! ain't you glad that's why he came I know he came to do miracles also but I know he came and did miracles 
but he didn't come to do miracles. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Amen. The intent of the Savior is to save sinners. The incarnation of the Savior's. But notice this, the sinners in the call. The Bible says this, he says, uh, uh, to save sinners. I'm glad I was one of them. Thank God, and he saved my soul. Uh, but look at verse number 16. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy. Uh, not just uh, that thank God is the Savior uh, in the call. Thank God for the sinners in the call. Uh, but this, ha- this is how the sinners got called. Uh, amen. Thank God there was sympathy. Uh, he had mercy on me. Uh, I couldn't deserve it. I didn't get in by merit. And I didn't get in by money. And it didn't matter who my mama was. I got in because of mercy. Amen. Thank God. Amen. Thank God for the sympathy of the call. I obtained mercy. But notice the sample of the call. He said this in verse number 17. Notice what Paul says. He said, amen. Thank God. Not Now under the king eternal. He's almost said, let Wait a minute. Before I talk about the sample, uh, let, let me just say, stop a minute and salute who I need to salute. Uh, he said he's the king eternal, uh, immortal, invisible. I say hallelujah for the salute of the call. Uh, but notice this. He said he's king. That's his position. Uh, he said he's eternal. Thank God. That's his permanence. Uh, he said he's immortal. Uh, uh, that stands for his purity. But the word immortal in that text not only means uh, uh, that he'll never die, but it also means he's incorruptible. Amen. That's his purity, his position, his permanence. Notice this, his purpose, person. He's invisible, but he was made flesh. Amen. Thank God. Thank God for the description of who we ought to salute and how we ought to praise. But notice what he said. He said this. He said, I was saved in verse 16 for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. He said, I'm a sample. I'm a sample of God's mercy. He said, if anybody can do it, God can. So we see in chapter one, uh, he is the saving one. But look in chapter two. In chapter two, I mentioned this last week. Uh, He is the mediating one. Uh, Notice the restriction of the way. Notice what the Bible said in verse number five. Uh, For there is one. If, If there's one, then that means there is only one. Somebody said, preacher, you're a dogmatic preacher. That's because I have a dogmatic Savior. Amen. And I've got a dogmatic scripture. Amen. And so I ought to be a dogmatic sermonizer. Say amen. I want to be a preacher of righteousness, but I want to preach on there's one way, the restriction of the way. That one is Jesus Christ. Uh, But look on, uh, let's find out the reason of the way. The Bible says he gave himself for us a ransom for all. Hey man, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified. Hey, I'm so glad he is the mediating one. There's a restriction in the way. There's a reason why he's the mediating one because he paid the debt. He's the only one that you can get there by. He paid the ransom, hey man, and if you're going to get your bill paid, you got to go the one that can pay it, say amen. 
Hallelujah. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. I feel like preaching a while. I didn't know I was going. I was going to just buzz through them, but I'm, I'm getting a little bit of hell. Psalm 49. I like this. I went back in the Bible. Let's see what David said about it. Psalm 49, verse 6 and 7. You don't have to turn there. Listen to what it says. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. He said, you're out of luck. No matter what you do, you don't have enough to redeem nobody. There ain't but one that can redeem and his name's Jesus. Amen. I'm glad in chapter 2 of the first epistle, amen, to Timothy. Paul writing this to Timothy, encouraging him in the midst of cold clergy, in the midst of compromising churches, in the midst of a corrupt society. He says, I got some stuff I need to tell you. Thank God, make much of the saving one. Hallelujah, make much of the mediating one. Amen, but look in chapter three. Thank God, let's go back to the incarnate one. I didn't want to stay there long, because in chapter Chapter 3 and verse 16, he parks. I love this verse. I was down the street knocking on doors, uh, inviting folks to church. I ran a cone across this little lady. If you go down this street right here, uh, over here, South Church Avenue, go down in the dip, come back up at the hole, uh, uh, up, up the hole to the top of the hill, take a road to the right, right in the corner of South Church Avenue, and this road, the first road to your right, there's a little lady that used to live there. I went and knocked on her door, and I was inviting to the church, asked her if she had a home church after she knew the Lord. She said, Preacher, don't go nowhere. I got some Jehovah liars. Hey, man, Jehovah witnesses in the back, and I need you to talk to them. I went around to the back, and uh, she said, Don't say nothing until I get there. I walked around to the back. And they was loading her up. Uh, we'll clean up your yard. Uh, we'll come over here and help you get your car running. See, that's what they do. They want to do everything they can by good works because that's the only way they're going to get to heaven. And they want to make sure they can build their church. And so they get them older people and try to get that retirement fund and that Social Security check. Y'all might as well say amen. I didn't been here long enough to know that's what they do. I was over there talking to them. And uh, they, she said, Preacher, uh, they said they don't believe that Jesus is God incarnated in flesh. So I took them over to John chapter number one. I told them where it says. I said, y'all got a King James Bible, but you don't never quote out of it. You quote out of that New World Translation. I said, that, that Bible ain't right. Our Bible says, and that word was God. Amen. And they said, well, I said, what you gonna do with that? Well, we think that's a mistranslation. I said, well, what do you think about the pastoral epistles? Do you think they translated right? Yep, we believe them. I said, all right, go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. I'm so glad you said that. Look at what the Bible says. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Woo! God, for I forget it. Big G, amen, was manifest in the flesh. They got nervous. One of them was new convert. Older man took him and threw him in the car. Hey, man, they was mad. They, was, they didn't know what to say. I don't know what they can do with that verse. I know what they can do tonight or take it out. But the Bible says, Paul says, you're going to run into some folks that don't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And so in chapter 3, the theme, I believe, he 
closes it out. I told the preachers at the Bible college, I said, y'all need to make sure that you take enough time to do a message on the three sixteens of the Bible. Right there's a good one, y'all. Y'all need to do that one right there. Amen. All you preachers ought to hit that real good. Thank God. Thank God. Woo! He's the incarnate one. We see the incarnation. He was manifest in the flesh. I mean, your whole message is in verse 13, uh, verse 16, Brother Jared. Here it is. The incarnation. Amen. Manifest in the flesh. Vindication. Justified in the spirit. <laughs> That's good preaching. That's good preaching. If Paul was doing it, I'm still going to amen him. Amen. I feel like just preaching his message. Amen. Vindication. Justified in the spirit. If I'm going to be justified by anything or anybody, I want it to be the Holy Ghost. That does the justifying. Amen. He's justified in the spirit. I notice the observation. He's seen of angels. Notice the proclamation. He's preached among the Gentiles. Woo! Notice the acceptation. You see, preacher, that ain't a word. I don't know. Don't tell me about it. I fit good and I like it. Amen. He believed on in the world. Amen. Look at this one. I love this one. Glorification. Received up in glory. Christ was rejected on earth. Amen. But he was received in heaven. Hey, his rejection down here didn't stop his amen. Reception in heaven. He's seated right now at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he's making intercession for us. And it's like my grandpa said, he done declared on the cross, it is finished. And when he sat down, he was showing us everything that needed to be done is done. My grandpa said, you don't sit down, boy, until the job's done. And he said, down. I don't know about y'all that excites me. Have y'all thought about this? Y'all have heard me say it. God's the only person that can sit on their own right hand. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. How to make a dead Presbyterian child. How to make a priest get a hold of that and kick the back end out of his robe. Amen. That's right right there. Hallelujah. Woo. Amen. He is the only one that can be everywhere and still show up. Amen. Thank God for God God, amen, sitting down on his own right hand. We see it right there in chapter 3 and verse 16. Amen, he is the incarnate one. But go with me to chapter 4. He's got to be here. Now, this one here was hard. Me and my buddy, old brother Joshua, we talked the other day. Hey, this one right here is hard, but boy, it jumped out on the page. I, I, I told you before, he's in every chapter. He's got to be. The volume of the book is written to him. Hey, man, all the world cannot handle all the books that needed to be wrote of everything that he'd done just in three and a half years on this earth. There's no way we can describe him. The English language don't have enough adjective adverbs. Don't, there's no way that we can do him justice. There's no painter that can paint it. But there's, but there's a few things in the Bible that gives us a little hint. Hey man, once in a while about who he is. I think in chapter 4 and verse number 10, we see him in the chapter. Amen. I believe he is the compassionate one. Woo! 
Amen. Thank God. There he is. He's the compassionate one. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. Especially, look at that. Especially of those that believe. And though we suffer reproach. Hey, ain't you glad he saved you from sin? Ain't you glad he saved you from Satan's grip? Hey, Amen. If you don't believe that, second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 26. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. Have to teach, patient, meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure, give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Amen. Amen. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. What I'm saying is, the devil had you trapped, friend. Ain't you glad you saved from sin? Amen. Ain't you glad you saved from sins? Ain't you glad you saved from Satan's grasp? Ain't you glad you saved from the searing fires of hell? Hey, but that ain't all. Thank God he even saves you. Hey, man, thank from yourself. But he saves you. If you save, especially to them that believe. What's that about? Because when you suffer, God will save you from heartache. When you go through storm, God will be there to help you in the storm. Hey, I'm so glad. Hey, man, he saved me back yonder. But he's constantly saving me from myself. And saving me from storms. And saving me from being overcome and overwhelmed. Amen. Then I got to chapter 5. And I looked in verse number. I looked at all the verses. This one got real hard. But to chapter 5, he's in every chapter. Where you at, Lord? Chapter 5, hey man, he, he's mentioned, well, his name's mentioned in verse number 11. His name, hey man, is referred to all through the Bible in, in, in this chapter. But look in verse 18. There he is. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. You say, preacher, how's that? You see in chapter number four, remember, he's the compassionate one. Hey, man, thank God we've already seen he's the mediating one. We've already seen he's the incarnate one. We've already seen he's the saving one. But in chapter number five, he's the serving one. If you remember, just picture this in your mind. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of them represents different attributes of the Lord. In, uh, in different one, in John, for instance, he's the eagle, but in Mark, he's pictured as the ox. Now, let me let me clarify: the ox is a type of Christ in his service and in his sacrifice. You say, wait a minute, preacher, I don't know if I can get a hold of it. Remember, he, came, he said in the book of Mark, in chapter 10, in verse 42 through 45, the Son of Man has not come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, I didn't come for you to serve me. I've come to serve you. Amen. And in the book of Mark, we see that all through that book. You say, preacher, what do you say? I'm saying, if you go to uh, uh, the book, uh, uh, book of Leviticus and chapter 1 and verse number 3, uh, we find out that the bullock or the ox, uh, hey, amen, was an accepted sacrifice. Uh, but the only way it was going to be accepted in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse number 3 uh, was it had to be a blame, blemish, without blemish or blameless. Uh, it had to be no spots in it. Uh, if you went over and you say, preacher, uh, uh, in 2 Samuel in 24, uh, I remember David all 
offered a sacrifice. What was it? I'm glad you asked. It was an ox. Amen. He offered that ox and it had to be a male. Somebody, I don't want to, I need some amens right there. I'm glad we don't serve a female savior. Amen. I hope nobody hears that messed up. I'm glad we serve us. Amen. I'm getting a little bit nervous. I ain't heard enough amens. He, he's a male. That's what the Bible says. Amen. And Leviticus chapter number one and verse number three had to be a male without blemish. Amen. And David called on to it uh, and he offered a sacrifice when it needed to be offered in 2 Samuel 24. And so the, the, the ox or the bullock to be accepted had to be spotless. I'll notice this according to Isaiah and verse number 53. Matter of fact, just turn back here with me if you will. In Isaiah in chapter number 53. Notice what it says in this great chapter in verse number 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. You can say it this way. Amen that Christ. Amen to me in every chapter of the Bible. He's there. Amen. And you can say it Jesus. It's Jehovah's patient suffering servant. Bearing the other's burdens. Amen. Bowing his neck to the yoke that really belong to us. And so fulfilled the law of Christ. As we beat one another's burdens upon his back. I'm glad he is pictured in the sure-footed, amen, burden-bearing, spotless ox, amen, amen, but not just that, if you looked in Leviticus and chapter number one and verse four, you know what else it says about this bullock, amen, this, this uh, part of the herd or, or bullock or ox, you know what it said, uh, it said this, uh, that it was, it was, if you prayed uh, and you offered this ox or bullock, uh, it would be be accepted as a sacrifice for the sinner. <laughs> amen. I'm glad that ox is a substitute. Say amen. Amen. He's a sure-footed. He's a burden bearer. He's a spotless. He's a substitute. And I'm glad he's strength. He's strong. The ox is harnessed for the service that he's laid upon his back. You say, preacher, what else is the ox a picture of? We know what it is. Also a picture of, it's a picture of those who preach Christ. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 4, I preached the first message in that 14-week revival that went on. I preached out of Proverbs 14, 4. The Bible says this in, the, in, the, in that proverb, that if there is no oxen, the crib is clean. That's a sad thing. When the oxen are stalled instead of out there in service, we don't need preachers sitting on the sidelines taking a cruise ship, canceling all their services just so they can get a check and not go to church and preach. Somebody ought to say amen. That's, that's preaching right there. I know I'm right. I've seen it. Amen. Amen. But thank God the ox. Amen. Thank God. In that picture in Proverbs, he's a picture of the preacher. Amen. How the preacher needs
needs to harness up and how we need to plow and how we need to plant. But in chapter number six, we see him, thank God, not just the compassionate one or the servant one, but in chapter six and verse 14 through 16, look what it says in verse 14. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable under the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall shew, who is the blessed and only potentate, uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hey, I want to say this about him. Thank God. Let me read verse 16. Who hath, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. And he paused, had a happy, Amen. One more time. You see in chapter 6, he's the coming one. Amen. Oh, I thank God for him. Amen. I preached one time out here on a revival in Shelby, North Carolina. And uh, it, man, we had a good service. And I got to preaching all that I was going to do when the Lord showed up. And how, what I wanted to do every time the Lord showed up. And what I wanted to do every day of my life. I said, I want to listen to him. I said, I want to lean on him. I said, thank God. I, I want to learn from him. But thank God, there's one thing I am going to do, Brother Child. It don't matter how messed up I am. It don't matter how fouled up I am. When he comes back, I'm leaving with him. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Woo! He's the coming one. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. In chapter, each chapter through the book of First Timothy, we found him. Amen. Let's see what. Let's see if we can find him in chapter two. Amen. In chapter number two, we can trace the Lord. I, I don't know if I said this last week. Let me say it right here. In Second Timothy, and chapter number two, we find the Lord listed. Amen. And mentioned fifteen times in Second Timothy alone. It's almost like he can't get enough of preaching about Jesus. What else is there to preach? Let me say that, amen. Amen, he preached Jesus. But you'll find him in 2 Timothy three times in the first two verses. If you look for Christ in every chapter in 2 Timothy, I believe you find him as, as we do in 2 Timothy. We see the power of Christ from different points of view from chapter 1 to chapter 4. We see it almost building and climaxing in chapter 4. Let's look in 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 10. Therefore, or chapter 1 and verse number 10, but it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. <laughs> How did he do that? Well, he did that through a virgin birth, through a sinless life, through the offering of the body on the cross of Calvary, through the burial, through the resurrection, amen. Hallelujah, thank God, through the gospel. He hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen, we see him in chapter number one first as, as the coming Christ, power revealed and the fact that he defeated death. Remember, we're looking at Christ in 2 Timothy at the power of Christ from different points of view. Thank God when he came the first time. Hey, man, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Maybe this will drive this point home a little bit. Look in Hebrews chapter number 2. Hey, man, if you, if you love 
Amen. Jesus at all. This right here, a hippie. Hebrews chapter number two. I mean, if you backslidden cold, this will help you. Look at Hebrews chapter two and verse number nine. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man for it became him for whom are all things by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory how to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Ain't you glad that he abolished? Hey, I'm glad he defeated death and delivered, amen, those who are captive by that fear. Amen, we see the power of God. Amen, in salvation he defeated death. We, we see the power of God in chapter number one and the fact that he can keep that which we've committed to him against that day. Amen, he says that all through the text. Amen, but Paul Paul mentions that. And here's what he says at chapter number one and verse number 10. Let's look at this verse in verse number 10 as we look. Amen, he says, He hath abolished death and have brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. One, two, he said, I'm ordained a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I don't know if did y'all catch that. He has the power, and he did, to defeat death. He'd been knock a hole in the bottom of the grave. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And as sure as the first fruit got up, all of us is going to get up. He shows power in his death power and his resurrection power and the fact that he defeated Satan but he shows power and the fact that he can keep what we've committed to him here's what one man said he said I, I realized in serving the Lord I, I'm not keeping I'm not keeping anything that I've hoarded but the only thing I'll ever keep is what I've already gave away to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I say amen. Amen. We see not chapter number two. We see not only the power, amen, in his incarnation, the fact that he came, but we see the power in his coronation. Look in chapter two and verse number eight. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Anytime you see that according uh, to the seed of David, it's referring to the fact he's going to set up his earthly kingdom as millennial reign. Thank God he's the king. He's the seed of David. Hallelujah. But then in chapter number three, we see power and restoration. Look at chapter three and verse number 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which, come in, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. Out of them all the Lord delivered me. <laughs> Woo! I'm going that he's got the power to restore. Amen. And deliver from persecution. The Bible said this. He delivered us out of them all. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're going through outside. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know how bad you've been beat up by the world. But can I just give you some good news? It'll do you better than medicine. It'll do you more good than seeing a doctor. It'll do you better good than seeing your stocks go up. 
and your bank account go up. It'll do you better good than seeing your bills paid. It's to know that whatever you go through on this earth, that out of every trouble, out of every problem, out of every persecution, it don't even matter. Hey, listen, friend, how low you go. If you get fouled up, the Lord will deliver you out of them all. Amen. Power of his incarnation. Power. Amen. Of the fact that he's able to keep restoration, his coronation. But look in chapter 4 and verse number 1. We see that power climaxing. It's culminating. He came one time, but I'm glad he's coming back again. Amen. I love 2 Timothy in chapter number 4. Amen. I believe the Bible tells us some things. Here's the minister's work. He ought to be preaching. He ought to have passion. And he ought to be patient. Amen. Not, not just preaching. Amen. But pr- what should we be preaching? The Bible said preaching the word. Amen. Woo! In light of what? Look in verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. I don't want to spend a lot of time here but let me just share with you just a minute. Hey, that's a two-fold return. He's going to appear in the air, rapture of the church. He's going to appear and set his foot on the Mount of Olives. Hey, man, and set up an earthly kingdom. That's a two-fold return. Notice what it said in chapter 4, verse 1. At his appearing... Number one, amen, as appearing in the sky and in its kingdom. That's the second part. Amen. Number two, thank God. Hey, Brother Randy, I'm glad he's coming back the second time. I call that the power of the consummation. He's going to finish this thing. He's going to put the devil in his eternal abode. Somebody, whoo. Hey, I'm saying, I'm getting what I don't deserve, and the devil's getting what he does deserve. The devil is going by. I like what Brother Tony said. Liar, liar, your pants is fixing to be on fire. Amen. Woo, amen, hallelujah. Amen, glory to God. Here's the thing that makes me. I looked in chapter one and I seen something else that stuck out. Just a little side note. He, in chapter number one, if you went back in chapter number one, you'd see something in Second Timothy. In chapter number one, he's praying for Alexander. No, no, or, or, I'm sorry, in chapter number one, he's praying for some people to be blessed. His name is Onesiphorus. But then when you get to chapter four, he's praying also for Alexander the coppersmith, and he's praying that he get a different reward. He's wanting Onesiphorus because he's been faithful to get a good reward, and he's wanting Alexander the coppersmith because he's been unfaithful, amen, to get a bad reward. I don't know what uh, what rewards you're going to get, but I can tell you this, if you'll just be faithful, I know you're going to fail, I know you're going to fall, hey, but if you'll just stay, I know, you ain't always going to be fired up, you're not always going to pray fervently, but if you'll just be faithful, I'm telling you in the end, God's going to bless you, amen, I'll get there in a minute, but just for a little side note, In case y'all didn't think 
I was telling you right. You can find Christ all through the Bible. Amen. In the Old Testament, thank God in story and type, he's the sacrifice and promise. He's the, he's the prophecy that we're to look for. Amen. He's the coming Messiah. In the Gospels, we see the presentation of him as king. We see him in Matthew as king, as Mark as servant. We see him as man in Luke and as God in John. In Acts, we see him proclaim, amen, by servants. And wherever they went, they were witnesses of the power of God in the Holy Ghost. And God bared witness of them by miracles and signs. In the epistles, we see him personified. We see Christ summed up. Paul said it like this, to me to live is Christ. Amen. And Revelation, we see him as the predominant one. He's coming back. He's the lamb, but he's the lion. Hey, man, thank God. Anywhere you look in the Bible, it's all about him. Amen. Man, I got to see in that and thank you, man. And first and second Timothy, we see him clearly in every chapter. Let me share this with you. I don't know how far we'll get tonight, but I want to share this with you. It doesn't matter where you look in first or second Timothy. Y'all read these four verses with me. Go to first Timothy chapter one and verse number 18. Paul wrote to Timothy a lot about warfare. Maybe that's where I need to uh, hit the pause button tonight. I really wanted to get to them lines. Hey, man, but I don't guess I'm going to get there. If you look in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul said a lot about warring, about warfare. Chapter 1, verse 18. Everybody there, can you say amen? This charge, some people's there. How many of y'all believe it's in the Bible? Can you say amen? I still ain't. How many just think I'm telling you right? Would you say amen? We, all right. Look at 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Hey, man, we're going to have some Bible drills up in here next Wednesday. Hey, man. 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Hey, man, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou might, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. How would you like to be the pastor? you just being left as a young man. They already despise your youth. You're a young preacher. You're being left in a place that's cold, compromising, and corrupt. And, and, and Paul says, I want to write in the first chapter, hey, just be reminded he's the saving one, but I want you to also remember I put you there that you might buy those prophecies, by the laying on of hands, by the faith, by the Holy Ghost that's in you. I want you to war a good warfare. I mean, man, you're being left there by yourself and you're told to war a good warfare. But then he goes over to chapter 2, or 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4, and that thought progresses. It's as if he broadens it. Here's what he says in the 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Every single person that's saved is a soldier just like Timothy. Notice what it said in 2 Timothy and chapter, uh, or 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Amen. In verse number 12, notice what it says. He says to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art 
also called and has professed a good profession among many witnesses. He carries the same thought in the second epistle. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I didn't ask you to do something I didn't do myself. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Here's what I'm saying, church. In both books, there's language that tells us we're in a fight, amen, and we're in a warfare. Every single person in this building, male or female, is in a fight. I thought about all those ladies Hey, ma'am, that went with those guys back in the Revolutionary War, and their job was to pack muskets. I, I remember reading about them trying to do sew the uniforms. I, I remember they did the same thing in the not-so-silver war. I, they did the same thing. Some of them went as nurses and cared on the front lines, uh, just like the soldiers were fighting on the front lines. Hey, in Nehemiah, when they built a wall, and had to stand against the enemy. They built with one hand and warred with the other, and they fought with their families. Amen. Each family, each tribe, each family, each group had their own section. What I'm saying is, and I hope I get there. If I don't, let me just say it right now. If you look at Aquila and Priscilla, it don't matter where you find them in the Bible. They're mentioned in 2 Timothy and 4. Priscilla's name's first and Aquila's second. If you go back to Acts, Aquila's first and Priscilla's second. It didn't matter. It's amazing. They're always together. That's a husband and wife team. It didn't matter where they's at. They is going to be in the fight together. I feel like running right now. I'm talking about husband and wife was sticking it out together. And they, listen, I'll, I'll tell you this. I don't like this. I don't like this lording over your wife attitude. I believe a husband is the head of the house unquestionable. And every Everybody ought to say amen. And I believe the wife is to submit to her husbands in all things, not the church. Everybody say amen now. However, God don't want you to be a lord over his heritage and he don't want you to treat her like she's a dog. In fact, he took the rib and not the football and somebody say amen. God wants you to share in this walk with God. And it didn't matter. Did you know this? I found this out the other day. Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned equal times First, and sometimes they're one of them, the man's first. Sometimes it's, it's as if the Lord says, I just want y'all to know when it comes to serving me, you're to submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Amen. I say amen. I just want to go ahead and say that right now. That's, it. That's Bible preaching if I'm doing it. Amen. Amen. God wants us to have a part in the warfare. And by the way, I could spend a lot of time history and everything has history. Your shirt has history. Your shoes have history. This country has history and I can't stand people that say they don't care about history because everything has history. This King James Bible has history and I could take time to show you that even children participated. And, but just so you know I'm Bible based when that crowd wanted to kick the kids out and put them over in a corner with Kool-Aid and a coloring book, Jesus said, let me have them suffer them to come to me. Put him on his lap in the center of the preaching message and said, if y'all gonna be like you ought to be and go to the kingdom of heaven, you're gonna have to act like his child and be like his. In other words, have the faith of a child. Say amen. 
We don't need kids to act like adults. We need adults to act like kids in faith only. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank that we ought to have faith in God that we've been called to a fight. You didn't volunteer in this fight, by the way. You was drafted. Amen. Nobody signed their name on a card. He asked me one time, my, my church that I grew up with, I'm not going to mention because they may be better now and I'm not going to mention them. But at that time, there wasn't no gospel preaching that I remember. I never seen nobody get saved. Would I stretch that uh, at all, you think, Miss Connie? I mean, I don't think there was. If there was, I don't remember hearing it. And, and here's what they asked me when we started pastoring. I, I got saved in an old-fashioned missionary independent Baptist church at three miles off uh, the pavement on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. I thought I was safe as a sinner that even God couldn't find me there. But I found out he sure can. Amen. And I got saved there. I didn't get saved back yonder where I grew up. But when I when I started pastoring, uh, my one of my family members said, bring the young people over. We've got the party. And uh, boy, that the power team, it's going to be, we're moving the pulpit out. I said, time out, we ain't coming. If the pulpit ain't there, we ain't coming. I feel like preaching there. I, I'm hung up. I'm, I'm going to have to circle the log, get my line unhooked. Say amen. I'm enough of a fisherman. Somebody help me. That's right. Everybody, we're going to take the pulpit out. They're going to rip phone books, break ice with their head. They're going to lift big and talk about Jesus. And at the end of the service, they said, check here. Check yes if you want to go to heaven. Uh, check no if you want to go to hell. Well, who's going to check no? Ain't nobody going to check no. I mean, most of the world, some of some dummy might. Most people ain't going to check. They want to go to hell. And so one of them girls checked yes. She went and got drunk on Saturday and, uh, and died. They preached her funeral and said that she checked the box yes. And so they knowed she is in heaven. And that taught the whole Polk County High School that it's all right to get drunk. Is everybody okay? I'm still King James Bible tonight. Look not thou upon the wine when it don't make me go there. Hey, I'm telling we're in a warfare. Are, are, am I right? We're in a warfare. And I, hey, we don't need no show. We don't need nothing. It ain't a playground. This ain't a place for fog machines. We don't need no disco balls. If you got to paint your walls black in your church and, hey, and right up the road, in case y'all was wondering, community church, painted the walls black, and you see them black. That ain't church. That's, that's a theater. This ain't a stage. It's a platform. Amen. Amen. I ain't got nothing wrong with Christian or entertainment. I think it's some, some's good. You ought to have some. But if it is Christian entertainment, let's say it's Christian entertainment. Let's say it's Let's say, amen, Christian entertainment. Thank God. Don't call entertainment worship service. Hey, man, cause somebody busted ice block with your head ain't going to get me saved. Uh, Y'all, we're in a warfare with false preaching and so-called false church programs. Amen. We're in a warfare church. The only thing I know to do is tell you, you better buckle up because we're going to sure enough be in a fight right now. Look what the Bible says. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Verse 3 through 5. You'll find out God's gave you weapons for this warfare. 
I preached on this text, brought three uh, military rifles in here, two or three handguns, and uh, set them up on the pulpit. And they went to the town council and lied on me. And said, I said, I said, there's this old buzzard. I preached on all the birds of the Bible. And I, honestly, I got to buzzard and I never seen her. She walked in and the Holy Ghost said, there's one. And I said it before I realized, and there comes one. Amen. And sure enough, she was a buzzard. Amen. You know what a buzzard does? Eats everything rotten and pukes it up on everybody. Amen. Amen. Y'all, is everybody with me? And she went and lied to me. He knows. Went and lied to the town council and said, I put a pulpit on, uh, put a, a gun on a pulpit and dared women not to speak. That's not true. We like everybody to brag on Jesus around here. That way, and hallelujah. Look what the Bible said in 2 Corinthians and chapter number 10. Amen. I hope this goes on the internet. Amen. In chapter 10, look at verse number 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Amen. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And here's what I preached on that day. I preached on armed and dangerous. Look what the Bible said in verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He said in verse number 4, how the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You say, preacher, I don't have no strongholds. You lied because you got stinking thinking. Somebody say amen. I know you got that stinking thinking problem. Amen. Hallelujah. Goliath's weakness was pride. Here's what I think about Goliath. How did the rock hit his forehead? I know God pushed his head into it. I told y'all I think that's why he fell face forward. But how did his how did his head get exposed anyway? Because he got a little prideful. He got a little he said, What are you out there sending this little boy to me? I feel like he probably took his helmet off. Amen. His pride got the best of him. And I know people whose pride's got the best of them. You better thank God you've got an armor of God. And you better thank God you've got a weapon. Thank God that's a two-edged sword that cuts coming. And going, hey man, and it will not let you down. We have weapons for this warfare. Hey man, there is a warfare. Chapter 6, verse 10 through 18 of, of the book of Ephesians. Uh, there's a work. God wants us, hey man, to be a part of the work. And, and our work is, Ephesians 2, to get prepared to go to war. Preparation of the gospel. If, and, and there's a watch in this warfare. At 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6 through 8. There's an observing watch. He tells us to be watchful. Matter of fact, turn there with me, if you will. It's just back a couple uh, pages, probably. Turn back there to 1 Thessalonians. I believe it's chapter 5. Amen. And verse number 8. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation for by our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for that. Amen. Amen. Comfort one another, yourselves together, edify one another, even as also you do. Beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you and are over you, and the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil, I am evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good. 
good both among yourselves and all men. Rejoice evermore. Here it is in verse 17. Thank you, Lord. And pray without ceasing. God wants you to war by praying. And if you've not been praying, you've been losing the battle by default. There's a war literal. Chapter 1 verse of Timothy, verse 18. There's a war spiritual. There's, and, and matter of fact, you look in, in Romans in chapter 7 and verse 23, it talks about that spiritual. We're actually fighting some things. We're actually warring some things. There's some things that we're going to uh, fight, and we need to endure some things. Man, God help us to endure. Preacher, how can we endure? You've got to learn to pray. Because in that armor, if you'd have went to Ephesians chapter 6, if we'd have took time and we'd have went there, amen, I don't know if the pollen's going to let me, but if you'd have went to Ephesians 6, you'd have seen in all those different pieces of the armor, you'd have seen in those different pieces of armor that there is no padding no armor for your knees. You're going to do the best fighting on your knees. I want to say this. <laughs> Look in 2 Timothy in chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Timothy, go back to 2 Timothy in chapter number 2. <clears throat> in, in closing, I, I'll try to just cut it off right here. And 2 Timothy in chapter number 2. Notice, preacher, who... And how, who is to war? How are we to war? How are we to succeed? How are we to follow those who went before us? Here's how. Look at verse 1. First of all, hey, there's some specialties. <laughs> Woo! Hey, man, in chapter 2, look in verse 1. He says, Thou therefore, my son, Ain't you glad you're part of the family? <laughs> Ain't you glad your son had a daughter? Amen. Hey, but look at verse 2. Things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's why we got a Bible college, that verse right there. I think you shouldn't only be sons, you ought to be scholars. Everybody in this church ought to be scholars. If you're, if you're a son and a daughter, you need to follow up with verse 2 and be a scholar. Look at verse number 3 and 4. Hey, man, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. I've already said it. Let me say it one more time. You that are saved, everybody born again, you've been drafted, you've been saved by the grace of God, you're a soldier. Amen. Hey, man, you're to war a good warfare. And the only way you can do that, hey, man, is to endure hardness. And then number two, stay out from being entangled with the affairs of this world. And you keep in mind who chose you to be a soldier. Matter of fact, just look in verse 4. That he, that he may please, the soldier may please him who hath, what does it say? Chosen him to be a soldier. It don't say you chose to be a soldier. It said you were chosen to be a soldier. Here, here's your responsibility in salvation. Respond by faith and repent and ask him to save you. You can't come except he's drawled. Unless he's called, you can't pick the phone up. A gift, oh my, thank you, Lord, it's getting bigger. The way to sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
A gift can only be received when it's offered. If it's not offered and you take it, you're a thief. Is everybody say amen? Amen. Thank God I'm saved. Amen. I'm glad I've been chosen to be a soldier. Now look at verse number five. I mean, it's laid out here in 2 Timothy 2. It says in verse five, we're to be a sprinter. And if, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Those words there, strive, speaks of the Olympic Games. It speaks to those who are striving for an olive branch crown. I'm glad we got a crown better than that. Say amen. Not, not just that. Look at verse 6. We're to be a sower. That's why we got tracks. I was putting more out. The rest of them came in today. How we've got doctrinal tracks. We've got why you ought to come to church tracks. Why you ought to give tracks. Why you ought to be baptized tracks. Why you ought to go to church tracks. Oh, what happens here? Uh, why does bad things happen to good people? Which really ain't the question anyway. The, the question really is, why do good things happen to bad people? Because none of us is good. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. But we got tracks back here for that. We got tracks uh, for dealing with, uh, those tracks dealing with Mormons. They, they all, we got no excuse not to be sowing now. Look what the Bible says, amen. And verse uh, number six, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of his food, fruit. So we're a son, a scholar, a soldier, a sprinter, a sower. But look in verse number uh, seven through 10. Don't be surprised if you're not called on to suffer. And look in verse 11 through 13. You're called on to be a, a saint, to live like a Christian. And verses 14 through 18, you're told to be a student. Hey man, to study. Hey man, in verse 15, to shew thyself approved unto God. Hallelujah. And verse number 19, we can shout about the fact that we're sealed. Amen. And verse number 23, this right here helped me. Oh Lord, have mercy. I love it when the Holy Ghost and this is just in chapter 2. Uh, you could preach a series of messages in chapter 2. I'm only getting to high places. Are, are, is, there anybody, oh, is anybody liking First and Second Timothy? If you are, just say amen. Man, in chapter 2, there's so much great God. I believe Second Timothy is one of my favorite books. Hallelujah. Look, look in chapter 2. Look at this one. It's not here, bless you. Look at verse 20. Uh, but in a great house... They're not only vessels of gold and silver, but wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Hey, I'm glad we're a son of scholar. I'm glad, thank God, we're a soldier, a sprinter. I'm glad we're a soldier. I'm glad we're a sufferer. Hey, man, I'm glad we're a saint. Hey, man, thank God I want to be a student. Hey, but I'm glad those verses right there tells me I'm a saucer. <laughs> Woo! I'm a vessel. I want to be a vessel. I know I ain't much of one, but I thank God for being one. Hey, man, in verse 24 through 26, we find out we're called upon to be a servant. Now, if we're supposed to be all of these, how in the world do we expect to do it without praying? If we are in a fight and if we've been put in a war and we're expected to stay out of the world and remember him that chose us and endure all the hardships that come our way, 
How in the world are we going to do it without praying? It is an absolute impossibility. I wanted tonight to spend the whole of the service just dealing with the necessity of Timothy praying. How many times he was urged to pray. But I think we see it and the fact that everything he's been asked to do, everything he's been told is his responsibility. He must know the only way that's possible is praying. Here's what I want to ask you, church. People sometimes when you say, hey, we're going to go to prayer room. Now, Sunday, man, we had a full, I thought we was going to, have to pull out chairs. Man, that was good. Last Sunday was pretty good. Them little kids came in there and wanted us to pray for their daddies. Why do you think little boys is coming to the men's prayer room? Because they see daddy going. They see uncle going. They see preacher going. They see other men going. And so they want to jump in there on a prayer. And, and here, think about this church. All through this Bible, Paul is going to tell Timothy, Paul's going to tell Titus, he's going to tell Jude, he's going to ask the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, the church at Philippi, everywhere he goes, he's asking for, hey, pray that God opens up a door. Let it be an effectual door. Hey, pray, pray that the word of God may abound. Hey, 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 pray, 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 help us pray for the saints. Help us pray, God help us. All through Paul, he's talking about praying and praying. And in the same chapter, he's talking about warring. He's talking about praying without ceasing. Only thing I can think of in 2021 that's going to help us to be all that he asked us in just 2 Timothy chapter 2 is praying. How long has it been since you prayed more than five minutes? How long has it been since you prayed and you got past everything you always say? If we were to listen to your prayer every day, I wonder if it even move us. We, we, we want God to save our family. We want God to turn this world upside down. We want God to get a hold of some people. But the only way that's going to happen, aren't you glad somebody prayed for you? I don't think we can ever be more like Jesus than when we are interceding for somebody else. Jesus right now is seeking at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. The Holy Ghost that lives on the inside of us is making intercession for us with groanings that can't even be uttered. Everything around us tells us that we ought to pray. He says, if you don't like how your country is, how your nation is, how your land is, he said, all you got to do is just get my people, which are called by my name, to humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. He said, then I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Hey, if we really want God to do something special, all we've got to do, what we've got to do is pray. We can't change people's heart. We can't touch people's mind. We can't even help ourselves. 
We can't be effective as preachers, as singers, as soul winners, even as choir or special singers without being saturated in prayer. Until we pray, hey man, about the services, why do we think God's going to show up and do anything? We ought to come expect him because we've laid up some prayer with anticipation. I'm asking you. On Wednesday nights, I don't know how long, but here's my here's my thought. On next Wednesday night, Lord willing, we just gonna get together and pray. We're gonna. I might share a, a, a thought, devotional thought, like I do sometimes in prayer room. But but we're gonna pray. That's it. Say, preacher, that's it. Man, that's it. Don't say, that's it. You ought to say, no, that's it. That's it. Because praying is where it's at. In in fact, I'm going to say this. We've turned Wednesday nights. I like preaching the Word of God. But in the average church, We've got RAs, RUs, JWs, TWs, PWs. I don't know what all that stuff is. Ain't got a thing to do with praying. It was started because folks wanted to pray. When it originated, and and we talk about this, let me just say quick, a snippet. Jonathan Edwards in Massachusetts could barely see. Got up in the pulpit with a candle Read, read 27 words, um, 27 pieces of parchment, verbatim all the way down. Before he got done, a man in the back hollered, somebody help me, I'm sinking into hell. And I was holding on to the pole. To, and people, kids started running up underneath mama's skirts. And, and ladies started, the whole, I mean, God started that great awakening. George, George Whitfield. I think there's a Whitfield, Georgia that still bears his name. He, he preached, and he would preach 2,000, I think, I can't remember now, 2,362, more than 2,000 times uh, just on you must be born again. And when they asked him why, he said, because you must be born again. And he preached it, and his, his, his voice thundered, and the first great awakening started. And, and then years, then the revolution happened. And you see, God knew uh, that he was going to set this country up to be a place that was going to send missionaries all around this world. He, he was going to use this place. And so he, he stirred us up with revival because everybody came over and wasn't saved. Some of them were saved, sold out for God. Some of them was a bunch of heathens, y'all. Might as well say amen. Thank God. Hey, man, and in spite of everything, they survived. At Jamestown, 13 colonies, revival swept those 13 colonies. That's why young people... That's why your American flag has 13 stripes on it. Remember them 13 colonies. Somebody ought to say amen. I hope all homeschoolers teach about the flag. And then they had revival and the Great Awakening. And then they were able. How was it that the world's greatest superpower at that time, England, the British, how, how, was, how, how could a bunch of farmers and trappers and, and Baptist preachers and deacons uh, defeat that crowd and they surrendered to us? I'll tell you why. Because there's a crowd of people that wanted to worship God and didn't want taxation without 
representation and wanted to serve God completely and truly according to the dictates of their heart. I say amen right there. Amen. After that, we was poor. And for about 10 years after that, it was the poverty. It was depression. I mean, it was terrible. And then another great awakening started. And more of them preachers started going. And one of them was an old Methodist circuit riding preacher, old time Methodist, let me say that. Hey man, back, you know, believes in real baptism. Somebody believes in real salvation. You don't lose it every day. Everybody okay? I, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about circuit riding, old, you know what his name was? Sheffy. And went and spread the news everywhere, all up and down the Appalachian Mountains and, and, and Virginia and the Carolinas and in Georgia. And, them, and man, revivals started spreading. Amen. And, and folks started getting saved. And they were getting saved so much, they didn't have nobody to really teach them and preach them. And so they'd have prayer meetings. They had prayer meetings Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. And uh, they, they just got to where they couldn't do it. They couldn't plow. They couldn't plant. They couldn't go to church every day. And so they said, we got to find a day. What is a day? And, and so they started, Sheffy, tell everybody over the mountain, we're going to pray on Wednesday. And tell that crowd, we're going to pray on Wednesday. And tell that crowd, we're going to pray on Wednesday. And so we'll all hit the throne room together and ask God. I feel like running right now. Hey, man, that's what we ought to be doing, having our prayer. And even that little baby knows she ought to run the altar. Everybody ought to have a desire to see God in prayer. Here's the problem. Now we've got programmed out and got everything going on besides preaching and praying. And we need praying back in the house of God on Wednesday night specifically. I think it'd be a good tradition to carry on. We still have Wednesday night. You see, it was liberal churches that started not having Wednesday night. And, and then they quit having Sunday night. And uh, amen. Then it steeped over in the Baptist churches and fundamental churches. We'll just cut Sunday night off. And then COVID hit. And everybody thought it was time to go on vacation for six months. And we just quit, let everybody die and go to hell. Don't hand out no track. Don't worry about coming to church. The churches got cold, the altars got weeds in them, and we wonder why. Hey, listen, church, I want God to do something mighty, and I think it's going to come by prayer. The great Herbert East Island revival come because some women prayed. Hey, man, how the great revivals that swept wells is because there was some teenagers. I'm talking young people. Got a hold of God and prayed. Hey, man, I'm telling you what we need is a hunger for God in prayer, and, and what we need to get lost in it and caught up in it, and don't worry about nobody else. I'm not talking you ain't got to loud say, say it louder or say it longer than anybody else but I'm talking about getting there and growing your heart out and tell God all your issues and pour your heart out before God and ask him some questions once in a while. Jesus showed us it's alright to ask some questions once in a while. Y'all believe that? Let's go pray. Miss Victoria do you mind? Amen.